0: Thanks, Suhin, for reading God's word for us. I'd like to thank the worship team as well for the songs and the hymns that they picked today. They certainly have prepared my heart for this time where we come before God's word to see what God has to say to us. Am I on? Okay. Well, good morning, beloved our family and friends in Christ, and a warm welcome to our friends who are visiting with us. I'm glad you've chosen to spend some time with us this Sunday morning. I'm Oliver. I'm one of the pastors serving on the elders team here at Grace Baptist Church. As you heard, Pastor Yen himself is preaching at Cape Road Baptist Church this morning. And Eugene, uh, Pastor Eugene, he's actually on the mission, with the missions team in Pua. And I believe right now he's preaching at the Pua Village Church. So you have three of your pastors uh, uh, preaching and giving um, uh, God's Word this morning. As a church, we are observing the season of Advent. And Advent takes place in this few weeks leading up to Christmas. The word Advent, as our worship leaders have said, means coming or arrival. The season of Advent is for Christians to remember Jesus Christ's first coming, His birth some 2,000 years ago. And also for us to remember that Jesus Christ will be coming back again. So we'll be spending time in this couple of weeks before Christmas looking at one of the biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. In particular, in particular, we'll be looking at the first two chapters which cover the stories leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And for today, we'll be looking at the announcement of the coming of God's, of God's deliverance king, which is found in the Bible in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. But before we start, let us pray. merciful father god you who sent your messengers to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation give us grace to take heed of their warnings and to turn away from our sins help us to turn to jesus christ so that we may greet with joy the coming of jesus christ our redeemer and deliverer jesus who live and reign with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever in Christ's name. Amen. Too big to fail. Too big to fail is a phrase used to describe a company that is so connected and so intertwined in the global economy that its failure will be extremely disastrous. Okay? And big here doesn't necessarily refers to the size of the company, okay? But rather it it means uh, its involvement across multiple economies. And if you remember, too big to fail, this phrase, it was popularized during the 2008 financial crisis. So what happened was the United States administration, they used this phrase to describe why it had to build up some financial companies in order to help them avoid economic collapse. And the firms in need of rescue, were financial firms that had relied on derivatives, I had to Google to find what out this, what this is, but it's derivatives, to gain a competitive advantage when the economy was booming. So when the housing market actually collapsed, their investments, their investments threatened to bankrupt them. Because these banks, they were so heavily invested in these derivatives that they became too big to fail. So in the turmoil and anxiety of the early days of the 2008 financial crisis, some people actually placed their confidence that the US government, the US administration will rescue these banks that were in trouble. After all, the reason was they are too big to fail. And my friends, almost 10 years on, 10 years on, we look back and we can see what happened. Yes, sure, some banks and financial firms were rescued. But a crisis came to a head when the US government allowed the then fourth largest investment bank in the US, the Lehman Brothers, to go under. And the bankruptcy of this bank, of Lehman Brothers, was one of the causes that deepened the financial crisis that lasted for about four or five years, from 2008 to 2011. What this tells us, my friends, is that in the midst of financial anxiety and confusion, nothing was too big to fail. And my friends, it's not just about financial security. We face anxiety and confusion in many areas of our lives as well. In our identity, our relationships, our health, our status, our work, in the midst of anxiety and confusion on what do we place our confidence and trust my friends when we find ourselves in anxious and confusing times what can we do where can we find certainty that will never fail us and this is where we turn to today's passage in Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 Verses, 28 to, uh, verses 26 to 38. In this story, we see the angel Gabriel making an announcement to a teenage Mary of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember, Israel, during this time in the story, Israel was under Roman rule. The Roman occupation of Israel was from 63 BC till, till the time of Jesus. It was in the last, was the last in the long line of invasions by foreign powers. The Romans had established in Israel a system of government consisting of Roman overseers and local leaders who held and exercised power in the name of Rome. And at the time of the birth of Jesus, the family of Herod the Great grew to fame and prominence and the Romans made Herod to be king over Israel. However, Harold was an oppressive king and treated the people of Israel badly. So what we have, we have Israel under the control of a foreign power. The puppet king was treating the people badly. So the people of Israel, they were facing uncertain and anxious times. But that was not all. Added to the mix was this. God has been silenced. It has been 400 years since God has spoken through His messengers there was an absence of the Word of God in the land. You now, my friends, we heard a saying, so quiet we can hear a pin drop. The idea is that we are in a, in a place where it's so quiet that you can even hear the smallest noise. And it is in this midst of God's 400-year silence that Gabriel's greetings to Mary seems to be like an explosive shout and this is where we start the story today where god is once again speaking to his people god breaks his silence and sends his messenger to speak to mary and we read this in luke chapter 1 verse 26. in the sixth month the angel gabriel was sent to god to a city of galilee named nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david and the virgin's name was mary and he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you." Setting these verses in context, do you remember what Pastor Ian preached last week? What did he say was the main aim of the Gospel of Luke? Luke wrote his gospel with the intent of offering his readers certainty. We see this in chapter one, Luke chapter one, verse four. Luke wanted his readers to be certain about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Luke went on to explain God's big plan of saving us by spending the first two chapters talking about the birth of Jesus. And we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25, the verses before this, Luke spoke about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth, cousin to Mary. And John the Baptist is to be the forerunner of Christ. And he is to prepare the way for Christ. And as you read this passage, I won't cover in detail the, this passage today, but if you read this passage, you realize that the announcements of these two different sons, both of these two different sons, they are meant to be read together. We are meant to see that although John the Baptist is significant in God's salvation plan, Mary's child, Jesus, is going to be the greater of the two. So it's surprising that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent to a backwater insignificant city in Galilee called Nazareth. Gabriel was sent to marry an unknown teenage girl who was a virgin. She had not known any sexual relationships and this Mary... She was engaged to be married to Joseph and Joseph was a descendant of King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and greeted her, calling her "favored one, one who has received grace from God. My friends, Mary is the recipient of God's unmerited grace and favor. We see here that God is the one who initiates. It's always God who first reaches out to us to show us grace and favour. You know, if you put yourself in the shoes of Mary, what would you do if a heavenly messenger from God tells you that you are the recipient of God's grace? And the subject of uh, Gabriel's visit to Mary was an immensely popular one, and the, this scene was painted over and over again during the Renaissance. In fact, this, artist, this painting was painted by the artist Lorenzo Lotto in 1534. He did this painting, and if you look at this painting closely, in it we can see Mary turning away in fear and apprehension from the angel Gabriel. Mary was troubled and anxious over the message and we read in luke chapter 1 verse 29 to 30 this is what uh he she responded but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid mary for you have found favor with god what the angel said was meant to be reassuring yet mary was still troubled and anxious. Naturally, Mary wanted to know what what does this mean? What what is happening? Why why was an angel talking to her? What had he to say? And the angel Gabriel did not leave Mary in the dark for long. He followed his greeting with an announcement. And this announcement was about the greatest event in human history, the coming of the Son of God. But first of all, Gabriel told Mary not to be afraid because she had found favour with God. And the favour here is the same, it's a different form of the same word that the angel used in verse 28, which is the word to, for grace. God was showing unmerited favour and grace to Mary. By His grace, she was going to give birth to a son. My friends, God can give us the same kind of grace He gave to Mary. Mary is the Blessed Virgin who alone was called to give birth to the Son of God. Her experience is not our experience. However, her example, her example of how God treats us, is an example for us. Since she received grace from God, her example proves that God shows unmerited favor to lowly, insignificant sinners. So whenever we feel small and insignificant, Overlooked by the world, we can know that God is for us. Gabriel's greeting shows great God's grace for the outsiders and for the lowly. There have been many famous announcements in history. For example, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed a paper with 95 statements about the Catholic Church. And this, was, this came to be no, known as the 95 Theses, and this announcement changed the world. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell the, patented the first telephone. This technological announcement changed the world. English scientist Lord Kevin called it the most wonderful thing in America. In 1879, Thomas Edison announced the invention of light bulb that forever changed the face of this planet. The light bulb changed the way millions of people like you and me live and work. We can now work late into the night, okay, uh, using our own artificial light. And the angel Gabriel made an announcement that will forever change the world. Mary will give birth to the Son of God. And we read this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end the angel Gabriel went on to explain the significance of this child, telling us about his person and his work. Who was he? What would he do? As pastor and Bible teacher Philip Graham aptly observed, there are five things that Gabriel reveals about Mary's son. Firstly, Gabriel told Mary to call his name Jesus, which means God's saves or the lord is salvation this was the first hint that jesus would be the savior he will bring deliverance to sinners by dying on the cross in shame and then rising again in glory even from the time of the announcement of his birth jesus name testified to his saving work jesus is the salvation of God. Next, the angel said that Jesus will be great. If you remember, when the Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he said that John the Baptist will be great before the Lord. We see this in Luke 1 verse 15. But here, we see that Jesus is the Lord. So when when Gabriel said that Jesus would be great, He did not limit Jesus' greatness in any way. Jesus is great. And if you read the Old Testament, whenever this word is used without any other qualification, so just the word great itself, it almost always refers to God Himself. For example, God's wisdom is great. His works are great. His power is great. His mercy is great. And we see this repeated many times in the psalms so great is god's greatness that he alone deserves to be called great so the angel gabriel here by saying that jesus would be great gabriel was testifying that jesus christ is god no one is greater than jesus jesus is greater is great in wisdom great in power great in love and great in the majesty of his divine being his greatness jesus greatness is the greatness of god but that's not all as we continue reading the gospel of luke the biography of jesus the life and ministry of jesus christ will demonstrate a coming together of these two contrasting qualities jesus meekness and his great majesty And we see this even at the story of Jesus' birth. Jesus was born in the humblest of circumstances. While on earth, He suffered the humiliation of poverty, loneliness, uh, homelessness, rejection, persecution, and torture. Jesus humbled Himself to death on the cross. Yet, yet, He is still the divine Son of God, and God exalted Him to greatness by raising Him from the dead. My friends, we usually get this backwards, don't we? We tend to exalt ourselves, trying to make ourselves greater than we are, and then God has to humble us. But Jesus did the exact opposite. He humbled Himself and He let God do the exalting. In fact, this was part of God, Jesus' greatness. Later, when the disciples wanted to know who is the greatest, Jesus said, He who is least among you, least among you all, is the one who is great. God does not define greatness by status, but by service. Jesus was greatest because His sacrifice on the cross, He became the servant of us all. After testifying to His greatness, the angel said that Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. Similarly, we see Gabriel also calling Jesus using a similar term in verse 35, the Son of God. In the Old Testament, whenever the Son of God is used, it refers to the anointed king of Israel. The anointed king of Israel, they were called the sons of God. Here, however, when Gabriel identifies Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, This title, when it's used this way, indicates that Jesus is more than just a king. It tells us that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God, the Eternal Son. There's one God in three persons. Father, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What Luke tells us at Jesus' conception, and later at His baptism, His transfiguration, and finally at His resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth is God the son he's the third person he's the second person of the trinity what joy it must have given Gabriel to announce this mystery for the very first time declaring that Jesus he is the second person of the trinity the divine son of God and lastly Gabriel said that Jesus will rule in majesty Sitting on the ancient throne of David, Jesus is the one who will receive the throne of the great King David. We see this in verse thirty-two, and as Luke has already indicated, his earthly father Joseph came from the house of David, which meant that Jesus was a descendant in the line of David. And for those of us who who also read the Old Testament, you will hear an echo here, because long ago God has promised David in Second Samuel. 7 verse 13 to 14 and verse 16 that david's son david's son he would have a kingdom that will never end this is what uh, was promised to david i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son your throne will be established forever my friends we see these promises fulfilled in jesus christ who is the son of david and israel's eternal king jesus will bring god's never-ending rule to god's people this then was the angel's announcement mary will give birth to a son named jesus who will be the great savior and the son of god and the most powerful ruler in the history of the world jesus is the king over all earthly kings and powers, and His reign and rule will have no end. My friends, do you trust the angel's promise? It was written so that you will know for certain, so that you will believe Jesus as your Saviour. Would you worship Him as your great God? Would you serve Him as your everlasting King? will you serve Him together wholeheartedly as a church? And to my non-Christian friends who are visiting with us this morning, God, by His gracious mercies, has given us Jesus so that we might be saved from the oppression of our sins. So would you trust in Jesus as your great God and Saviour and your eternal Deliverer? Remember, we talked about the concept of too big to fail. There's only one person that's too big to fail. And that is God who can do the impossible. His Word will never fail. We read this in Luke chapter 1, verse 34 to 37. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Unlike the priest Zechariah, which the angel Gabriel visited, as recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, Mary believed the angel's prophecy and prediction. However, Mary still had a question, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary obviously understood the angel to say that her child will be conceived before she got married. And as we read before, she was engaged to Joseph. And in those days, a betrothed, betrothed, uh, to be betrothed is to, this was a, something that was done and formalized in a public ceremony, and this generally lasted for a year, during which the bride was sometimes referred to as the man's wife. But at this point time, the couple usually did not, did not live, live together, and they did not have any sexual relationships. because in those days, and engagement was regarded as a definite promise of mutual marital faithfulness and to break this was looked upon as adultery so what we have here is mary is an unmarried virgin but she's not naive she knew that to conceive okay she needed to have sexual relationships the conception of a child to her without any sexual relationship is beyond human possibility The conception of Jesus Christ is the miraculous work of the Spirit, enabling a virgin to give birth to the Son of God. Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, it makes Him the Holy Son of God. Jesus had to be born of a woman to be a man. But if He had been just merely the physical offspring of Joseph, He would have been nothing more than a man. His virgin birth His divine conception by the Holy Spirit, these things were necessary for Jesus' incarnation because this virgin birth preserves the humanity and yet the deity, the Godhood of Jesus Christ. His conception by the Spirit points to His Godhood. His birth from the woman points to His humanity. Jesus is one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And because He was conceived By the unique creative act of the holy spirit just as god through the spirit spoke the world into being this is a creative act where god brings a baby into uh, mary's uh, womb jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of adam fallen humanity like us we could never produce our own savior our savior has to come from somewhere outside us by way of god's initiative and intervention Therefore, God sent Jesus into the world as the perfect Son of God, born without sin. And as a sign that God's promise will come to pass, Gabriel tells Mary that Elizabeth, her cousin, she has also conceived a son. And how can all this come to pass? We see this in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, for the word of God will never fail. God has spoken through his angel Gabriel. No word from God has ever failed. Mary did not know how it would happen. She only needs to be confident that God has said this and it would happen. God's word never. Fails. Nothing is impossible with God. God's salvation will come in such a seemingly impossible way because the word of our gracious God never fails. And because of it, we can trust and submit to God's plans. My friends, is there anything in your life that seems impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven, especially after all the times you tried not to do it again but failed. Perhaps it seems impossible for your family to be reconciled after all the heartbreak and for joy to come again. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical health, your financial needs to be met, or for your work, your studies, Or for your ministry and service to succeed it may seem impossible to endure the suffering that has come into your life or for someone you love to come to christ but the bible says nothing would be impossible with god god's word will never fail there is no sin he cannot forgive No relationship, He cannot reconcile. No problem, He cannot resolve. No need, God cannot meet. No ministry, He cannot show favour to. No grief, He cannot comfort. No life, He cannot reclaim. No sinner, He cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. Mary has received abundant grace from God, as we have, as Christians as we have. And what was her response? My friends, what will be our response? We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I don't don't want to minimize the the risks that Mary was facing. You know, sometimes we read uh, the account of scripture and we kind of gloss over the humanity of the passage. Can you imagine the risks that Mary was facing? She faced potential personal loss. She faced potential problems with Joseph. She had to be willing to give up her reputation. Imagine in a small little village like, like, uh, uh, like Nazareth, you can imagine the village gossip going around and everyone wondering whose the child's father was and yet Mary's humble response was behold i am the servant or is actually better translated slave i am the slave of the lord let it be to me according to your word because the word of our gracious god never fails we can trust and submit to God's plans. And if we look at this, this is not the first time God has done something like this. If we recall Luke's story in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25, there it speaks of Mary's cousin Elizabeth. And this, this passage about the announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary, this calls to mind also a series of extraordinary births in the Old Testament of the Bible, where a promised deliverer was born to women who who were otherwise barren. For example, Isaac in Genesis 17 and 21, Samson in Judges 13, the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 1. We see in the Old Testament passages like this, God has the power to do the miraculous for His people's good. And in these Old Testament events, God was establishing a pattern that is brought to its climax here in the miraculous birth of jesus john the baptist was born to elizabeth who was barren jesus christ was miraculously born to mary who had no sexual relationships who was a virgin the point here is clear salvation must come in a way that only god can accomplish so that we will know that god has done it so that god might get all the glory. And the question is that Luke's story poses to us as his readers simply this question, whether or not we will believe that God can do what He says He will do. Can we trust that God's Word will never fail? And because the Word of a gracious God never fails, we can trust and submit to God's Word, to God's plan. We must trust that God has accomplished his salvation through the work of Christ. Mary's humble response in verse 38 serves as our example. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My friends, there's only one person who can rescue you. There's only one person who is too big to fail. It is our all-powerful God who can do the miraculous through the power of His Holy Spirit, our God who kept His promises to His people to send Jesus, God's deliverer King, the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. Therefore, we humbly trust and submit to God in joy. And even as we draw this time to a close, and even as I ask the musicians to come up, come back up, Uh, I invite you to spend the next few moments in reflection. Remember, God's word to us today is the word of God. The word of our gracious God never fails. He will do what He says. He will do so through the power of His Spirit. And what this does is, what affection will this then cultivate in our hearts? What emotions does this stir in your heart? Do you have strengthened feelings of trust and confidence? Do you have renewed feelings of gratitude? Another question you can ask ourselves, how will it look like for me to respond in humble trust in God when I find myself in confusing and anxious times? My friends, perhaps it's an area of your work that you need to trust in God's provision right now. Or perhaps it's an area of relationships that you need to trust in god's timing or perhaps it's an area of decisions in your life that you need to trust in god's revealed wisdom trust and submit to god for his word never fails finally is there an area of my life i find it challenging to surrender to god how would it look like for me to trust and submit to God's word in this area of my life. Perhaps there's an area in your life that you have been indulging in secret sin. God calls for you to repent and turn to Him. Or perhaps there's an area of your life that you have been slow in obedience. God calls for you to trust in Him and act in faith. Or perhaps you have attended this church for some time and we have hesitated to commit to joining this church to, to a hesitated to commit to a covenantal relationship with other believers in this church god calls for you to commit and join in membership or perhaps you have come this morning and you felt the gentle persuasion of god's spirit drawing you to place your trust in jesus christ god deliverer king god's call for you right now is to believe in the good news of jesus christ for your salvation because the word of our gracious god never fails we can trust and submit to god's plans let us pray father god Though i may not see what the future brings i will watch and wait for my savior king then my joy complete standing face to face in the presence of you god the asian of days none above him none before him all of time in his hands for his throne it shall remain and ever stand all the power all the glory i will trust in jesus name for my god is The ancient of days, and he has sent his son Jesus Christ, our deliverer king, whose reign will never ever end. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.